Hi everyone and welcome back to another edition of our Best of Top Trader series where we share segments that we love and that we think that you will enjoy and find valuable. My name is Niels Kastrup-Larsen and today I'd like to share with you some really great moments and unique takeaways from a conversation I had with Marty Bergen, the president and owner of Don Capital Management, where Marty shares his view on return dispersion and how those experiences together with extensive research over the years has enabled them to produce a more robust trend following process for their clients. If you'd like to hear the full episode, then you can listen to it by going to toptradersonplug.com forward slash 97. With this short introduction, let's get started and hear Marty's perspective on return dispersion and other interesting aspects of trend following. biggest challenges we've had in the industry has been return dispersion for investors too, is that you have one fund up, another fund down. It seems that there's a lot of difference in terms of how performance has not been very consistent across managers in the space. And that creates a lot of confusion for the investors. How, how has your experience been with this? Have you, have you encountered some, do you have some thoughts about how done sees that and how you have fared and this sort of change well, in the industry? And what do you think drives it? So gee whiz, Katie, you're the expert in this area. <laughs> you're the one that should know these answers. <laughs> this is my opinion. Okay. You can I want tell your me opinion. whether you agree with my opinion or not, because I think it really has to do with time periods that people are looking at. There's always a sweet spot for your period of time you're looking back over. I think one of the things that's worked well for Dunn is we don't put any restrictions on what's available to the program from a time constraint. I mean, it can go as short as a week and as long as four or five years if it chooses that. Now, the parameter selection process is automated. It happens uh, weekly. But but it doesn't matter that it happens. It, like, it's not imperative that it happens each week. We can go 18 months without any real difference in return. So it's not sensitive to the parameters. But I think it's important that you allow the system to evolve between shorter time periods and longer time periods, given whatever the investment environment is. That's the only reason I can see why, well, one of the many reasons why I think we've been able to manage this environment well. I mean, between the ARP, between the uncorrelated revenue streams that we have, and you know, adaptive nature of our system, uh, we have an exit strategy that has been implemented over the last five to seven years. All these things have made us better. Yeah, I mean, it's been a very... I mean, if you think about it, the reason I'm interested is, I mean, you've done very well for your investors over the last few years, and it has been very challenging. I oh, mean, it's quantitative been, easing, you know, very low trends. I mean, most difficult environments that I have ever seen in what we do. I mean, I, I thought this was going to be easy. And, and you look at the post-financial uh, crisis, and it has just been a hard road for trend following systematic managers. And, and what's happened is the central banks have created this environment where everything is correlated across all the markets. So in reality, 
I ask myself, do we have diversity? You know, what what is diversity? So people are investing in their stock portfolios. They go to a mutual fund. Oh, we're a diverse mutual fund. We have 150 holdings. Uh, nobody has more than two percent of the AUM. You know all these stock names. Pretty diverse, right? Uh, I, I would proposition no, because if all those stocks are highly correlated, aren't you truly only invested in one thing? And that's the same thing that happens in the managed future space when all the markets become correlated. It's a lot harder for our markets to become correlated because, you know, it's the softs, it's the energies, it's the metals, it's the currencies, it's the interest rates, it's bonds, it's equities across all geographical areas. But after the financial crisis and the central banks were all working in tandem, yeah, those markets became very highly correlated. That is the most difficult time for us to make money is high correlation, low volatility. You know, and, and there's no trends. Everything's trading sideways. Because of low volatility, people tend to want to put more positions on because they got to get to their risk targets. This is what started our research on the adaptive risk portfolio because that doesn't make sense to do that. So, you know, we've now incorporated that into our model so that we don't do things that don't make sense. The thing that's the most encouraging that we've seen the last quarter of the year and is exciting to me is the correlation matrix is broken down. Everything's starting to break apart. You're starting to see European bonds move differently than U.S. bonds. Asia moves different than the rest of the world. These give us opportunities to make money. And you know, all that we need is opportunities, and the winners are always going to outweigh. The winners are big. The losers are small. That's the whole point of trend following. I think there's two really interesting observations here. One is, you know, and, and I don't know that people really know that, but since 1990, when the B-Top 50 index was started to be uh, computed, there are only seven years where it's down. But six of those seven years has been since 2009 when quantitative easing started. So yeah. it's a very clear correlation to exactly your point. And of course, since Katie is here, the, the queen of divergent convergent strategy, I mean, I'd love to hear your opinion as well to what Marty says about, you know, what we as trend followers really need. I mean, well, I mean, Marty's exactly right, is that High correlation, low vol is a challenging environment, but we can also add the fact that interest rates have been very low too. So we haven't had the carry moving directionally a lot of assets. So, you know, he's exactly right in that there, you know, if you're focusing on being adaptive to those environments and adjusting your risk and implementing that into your process, that that is really sort of trying to think proactively on how you can handle those type of different environments without sort of just blindly saying, this is a model that worked, let's execute it. Um, so it sounds like that's sort of the direction you guys went yeah, and that you're looking you, at adaptive risk and sort of better thinking about correlation. And When you, you hit on it, I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to admit it, and I think anybody in our space hates to admit it, but you know, a lot of the returns back in the 70s and 80s were driven off of interest rate. I mean, let's face it. Up to 18%. <laughs> I mean, so, when 60% of your assets are held in cash and are earning interest, it could be quite a you know nice little hurdle. Now, I will tell you from Dunn's perspective, we've always excluded that 
in any of our model development. So, you know, we're okay working in a zero interest rate environment. You know, all the back testing we do and the out of sample testing that we do and the development of our systems are assuming basically a zero rate environment. We we don't plan for any money to be made on our excess cash. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't look at, uh, you know, clearly futures are more dynamic in the interest rate environment of the older days. The other adage is that you managed futures can't make money in a rising interest rate environment. Well, I, I, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And I've heard people, you know, that they will look at me and say, well, you're crazy. I mean, you know, don't, doesn't it make sense to you? It's obvious. Well, no, because futures prices build interest rate into it. It's a very simple concept. It's saying in the future, the bond price is going to go up or down by this much based on the projected interest rates. And either the interest rates move the way you expect it or they don't. And if they don't, then the price of the future moves differently than what was projected. <laughs> You know, people try to make it too complicated sometimes and start doing this evaluation of interest rates and how you should be, oh, interest rates are going up, you should be short bonds. Well, no. If interest rates don't go up as fast as you think they're going to go up, then you should be long bonds because that's the right trade. And, uh, you know, our system is still holding. You know, all the European bonds are still long. We've gotten short the U.S. bonds. And the other thing that we've seen in looking at our simulations and our out-of-sample data in our live real trading is we never take positions on the short side as strong as the long side positions. It just doesn't happen. And I think it's because people's perceptions about interest rate are off-kilter, you know. So uh, I, think, I think people always think interest rates are going to go up faster than they do. They never go up as fast as people think. They're afraid they're going to go faster than yeah. I mean, yeah. I, and I think actually <laughs> also when you do uh, research and, and if you look at certainly the simpler trend-following systems, you know, what you do realize, and this could be tied into the 30-year interest rate cycle we've had, but when you do that, actually 85 or 90% of the returns come from long-sided trades, whether that's because it's easier to capture, because short-sided trades can turn very quickly, this and that. So, I mean, but but I agree with Marty that there shouldn't be any concern that there is a particular environment where trend-following doesn't work, unless there are no trends, of course. Right. Well, so it, to me, it makes perfect sense why that most of the trends are on the long side. It's inflation. I mean, the economy is always growing. Prices are always growing. Everything is going up. It just doesn't go up in a straight line. And there you have it. If you enjoyed this short insightful clip from a past episode of the show, then you will love the new free book that I'm giving away right now. It's called The Many Flavors of Trend Following and includes some of my best insights on this perhaps the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. 
You can get a free copy at toptradersonplug.com forward slash book right now to start your own investment journey today. Just go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash book. And make sure to come back to the podcast or my YouTube channel next week for more exciting and engaging conversations.